code of conduct. Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I put in extra work that just can't be found. I took the sword out the stone, wasn't a thing. Look me in my eyes, cause I'm a king. Look me in my eyes, cause I'm a king. God made me punch in accurate numbers. My castle won't crumble. What I tackle will fumble. I've been a leader when they ain't see it, but now my feet is up. According to me, royalty didn't end with King Tut. Crown on my head, clouds is at my legs. Big says sky is the limit. I look down on the ledge. I push the bar like I'm opening the cell. Hands in my cookie jar, you won't come out with a single nail. I need all of mine. The weight of my shoulders won't fit on a scale. What's a king to a giant? Well, Goliath fell. Even if we playing chess, dog, this king can't be checked I make all my moves on the board, I invented my steps uh-huh. I'm a king, the blood of a ruler, I feel like Mansa Musa Make your squad disappear like landing by the Bermuda Triangle, look at it from my angle I'm a king, the closest thing to being one of God's angels yeah. I'm a king Heavy is the head that wears the crown I put in extra work that just can't be found I took the sword out the stone, wasn't a thing Look me in my eyes cause I'm a king king. Look me in my eyes cause I'm a king king. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening and good night This is the Code of Conduct with the King podcast And you are listening to this on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast and Podcast Network Presented by Picasso Pizza Treat yourself to the most flavorful pizza on game day Picasso, we are Buffalo Pizza Shipping local and nationwide Order online at PicassoPizza.net Listen y'all, I'm excited tonight I'm excited, I got one of the big homies on the block From DraftKings And I listen, I've been excited about this one for about a week now Mr. Mike Golick Jr He is the host, the co-host Host of the Gojo Show podcast He is He's a sneakerhead. He is a, you know, he, he's a former offensive lineman for Notre Dame. Like he's just his resume is just like is real heavy. So, uh, Mr. Mike Golick Jr., how you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good. Literally heavy, yes. Although now a lot less so than it used to be, which is probably good because I didn't like having to sweat thinking about going up flights of stairs back in the day. That wasn't as fun. You know what? I need to work on that myself now. I might not look like it right now, but I gotta, I gotta get there for you, man. But hey, man, it's comfy season. It's comfy season. We're yeah. good. You know what? Thanksgiving put on a few extra pounds. It was, you know, but it's okay. I'll, I'll yeah, we'll, we'll get yeah. there on the off season. So uh, let's get into it, man. It's a, it's a, it's the fun part. I, I feel like the entire NFL season's fun, obviously for football fans. We love it, but for Bills fans and, and really every team that's kind of in the thick of things, this is the fun time. Cause now every game matters a little bit differently and you're watching who loses and all this stuff. And I feel like now it's it's about chess. Like all year, everybody is trying to do these things. But now teams are like adding pieces, taking away pieces, doing these different things. The Buffalo Bills this morning, man, I don't know if this is a big deal or not. I feel like it is because I love Cole. But the Buffalo Bills brought back Cole Beasley. And, you know, the last time he played in Buffalo, he was one of the best slot receivers in the league. You know, for Buffalo, he he made all pro as a slot receiver. And the comfort level was just there with Josh Allen. So just off the top, man, like, is this is this going to be something that actually helps the Bills? Or do we feel like he's been inactive too long to really come back and really make a difference? Uh, I mean, I think it could be incremental, right? Like expecting too much from a player that's been off the field as long as Cole has, especially just even recently in this year, uh, would probably not be the way to go. But when you look at what I think it's trying to accomplish, which is what you said, it's that C word, comfort. It's Josh has looked decidedly uncomfortable going back to that UCL injury where we all started to worry about Tommy John and all these things that might have to be done. And he decided to tough it out. He's clearly been off. It's clearly Mm -hmm. been also one of those transitional periods where kind of like the Chiefs have dealt with, the uh, Bengals have dealt with, the big high-flying offenses have had people trying to put a lid on this. And so now you've got to operate in the middle a little bit more. And for the Bills, you've been able to use the passing game to running backs to kind of supplement in the middle of the field. You've been able to use Isaiah McKenzie in there. Stephon Diggs can obviously do everything, but I think they're banking on, all right, we need stuff in that low and intermediate area to try and, one, give our quarterback easier outlets while he's struggling, I think, with a little bit of control. We've seen Josh miss some uncharacteristic throws in the last few games, and so Mm -hmm. I think any target that's going to give him a little bit of added comfort down the stretch for the reasons you mentioned is probably the source of this. Well, so I, I agree. And I think that the comfort level is the big deal about it. But then when you look at Cole, so Cole started off the season, he wasn't active on a roster. He didn't um, 
participate in any offseason program. But then he got picked up by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, Tampa Bay, they have like, you know, it's like the receiver heaven down there. Like they got, you know, it's so their roster has depth when it comes to that room. Yeah, I can say him and Scotty Miller doing the Spider-Man pointing meme down there. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, but he didn't really get to contribute. So some people looked at that as like, hey, he's not what he, you know, he obviously lost a step. Like he couldn't even crack the lineup and the, the Bucks aren't looking good right now and blah, blah, blah. You know, like, you know how the talk goes. I don't personally think he lost a step i just think that when you got mike evans and you got chris godwin and you got you know i just feel like it's tough to crack that lineup especially if you weren't part of the offseason program do you think based on what you saw for the limited amount of time we saw him down in tampa that he's either lost a step or he's not you know like from that what do you what do you pick up from cole yeah i, I think it's hard to tell because i think that's also about like you're a veteran player going down to a place where a guy's got a lot of time under task to bet together. Now with Tom, it's been the last couple of years, but in, in football years, that's like dog years. This is like the equivalent of like trying to meet new friends versus going back to kick it with your high school buddies, <laughs> where you just get to settle right back into the same conversations you've always had. Mm-hmm. Josh and Josh and Cole know each other. They know their work habits. They've got a lot of reps together. And so I think that mitigates some of if he has lost a step, what I'm sure he has like, Guys get older. It does get harder to perform physically as well. I'm 33 and got a foam roll for a half hour just to go to the gym and do easy stuff. So I can't imagine what it's like to be an athlete and have to do that as you get older. But uh, I do think the familiarity might help at least help some of that. Again, this isn't about making a massive difference. It's about adding another bit of creature comfort for your quarterback who's the center of your offense. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, and the the part that sticks out to me too about this whole thing. First, like I said, I'm happy to have Cole back, but then it it brings up the question. Uh, Dallas ended up signing uh, T.Y. Hilton, yep. and then now the Bills bring back Cole Beasley to the practice squad. He's going to be active soon. We, you know, it's it's it, the writing's on the wall there. So does this kind of does this mean that okay, what everybody's been assuming? You know, and Odell Beckham did the he did the LeBron show yeah. on on Prime, and he's like, I don't even see the point of playing in the season. Is he? Is it that most teams now probably feel like he's not ready, so they're like, you know, we'll just move on until he's ready. Or uh, do you just think that at this point the teams are kind of like, you know what, it is what it is. We're just going to go in a different direction. I, I would imagine, and like I know. <laughs> Jerry Jones bringing up publicly some of their concerns medically with OBJ. I always wonder how calculated that is because it's Jerry and you never know what he's trying to accomplish with that. At the same time, though, we saw Odell be really effective a year ago. He is coming off of a major injury. And so it's not crazy to say these teams looked under the hood and thought, all right, well, if we're not 100% sure this guy is going to be able to net us benefits in this season, which is what Odell is talking about wanting to do, and it's what what any team prospectively trying to sign him wants to do, if that's up in the air and you've got someone you're familiar with in Cole or someone like T.Y. who's got a lot of reps in this league who can come in right now and is healthy and can get the reps now so that once you get to the postseason, you've worked out some of that getting-to-know-you phase if it's not a guy like Cole. So I think there's a lot of things that factor into a why Odell Beckham Jr. for either of these teams wasn't an answer right here, right now. I'm shocked that um, he didn't sign with one of them, though. You know, I I thought, to be honest with you, I thought it was going to be Dallas. You know, I just, the the way they courted him and the way they, you know, they wine and dined him, and they took him to the NBA game. We don't have an NBA team in Buffalo. So he comes to Orchard Park, you go, you know, maybe you go to a Sabres game if if they're playing that night and they're pretty good. But I'm, you know, the Sabres, we got some improvements to make still. So, you know, it's, it's not as fun when you come to Buffalo. You go to Dallas and it's like, man, the stars are there. Um, where do you think when, when all the smoke clears and everything falls, do, do you kind of have an idea where you feel like he's probably going to end up? Well, I mean, at this point, you wonder if it's anywhere, if he wasn't signed now, because again, this would have been the juncture to do so. And it's not to say that these moves are ironclad and it's going to be for certain. And then if it doesn't work out, they couldn't circle back to that. If I wanted a prospective trip to the Super Bowl, I'd sign Buffalo, because I think right now they have a much better chance than what we've seen out of Dallas. But for what Odell Beckham Jr. also enjoys, which is being part of the attention. And I don't say that as a bad thing. It's not wrong for a guy that's got as many varied interests and is a legitimate like top five face of football, even without having played it all this year. Odell's one of the most well-known players in the league. And so that's why I wasn't surprised with all the public flirtation from both sides because Jerry Mm -hmm. likes attention and Odell likes being the center of attention. And it seems like a match made in heaven for a guy that's already such a big brand to wind up wearing one of the biggest brands on the side of his helmet. So I wouldn't be shocked if that happened down the stretch of this season uh, for the Cowboys. 
Cowboys if they got close to the playoffs and they said, you know what, let's make sure absolutely we got this monster in our own division in Philadelphia who's going to be the favorite coming out of the NFC going into this postseason. Why don't we make sure we've got everything possibly at our disposal? And you know what? That is interesting, too, because technically he has all of that in New York, ex- except he's not as close to being a contender. Like, I know they started off hot with the Giants. Yeah. Uh, but but, you know, they kind of fizzed, you know, like they real quick. Like, I feel like obviously they, it looked good. I love Brian Dabo. Everybody in Buffalo loves Brian Dabo. But he just, you know, you kind of knew they would fall back to earth at some point. And now they're on a what a three game losing streak. And it just it just feels like at this point, OK, the Giants are who we really thought they were. Yeah, uh, again, I think if this was strictly about football, and like, listen, in Buffalo, you'd have Gabe Davis to contend with for, you know, touches, especially what we've seen him do in the postseason when Stephon Mm -hmm. Diggs has been the one that's garnered the lion's share of attention. But if you want an offense that's going to have plenty of footballs to go around, that's going to potentially have a deep run in them, Buffalo checks every box football-wise style of play because even for Dallas – You've got a couple of big-time receivers there in CD and Gallup. You've got an offense that wants to really run through their backfield ideally first, the way that they're built right now, which is similar to the New York Giants situation. The Giants mm-hmm. are just doing it at a level right now where, you know, I, I don't think you've got the quarterback of the future on that roster. Daniel Jones has been good within an offense that has worked to kind of limit the exposure for a quarterback. Brian Dable came from Buffalo. We know how he will operate offense when they've got a mutant in the middle of it they can build around. It's no slight to Daniel Jones to say he's not Josh Allen. There's yeah. 99% of the league is not Josh Allen, but yeah. we've seen the way that offense operates. I don't think it's going to get Odell the kind of opportunities and touches necessarily that he wants, even if he would go in and automatically be the most talented receiver on the roster. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. I just know because you mentioned how, you know, Odell likes the attention. He likes that. And I feel like New York, like it's not it's not Dallas, obviously, like it's not the logo, but it's the city. It's the bright lights. It's you know, it's all of that extra stuff. And I I feel like that that's the reason why they were at least in the mix. But yeah. okay, enough Odell Beckham. He's not you know, he's not a Buffalo Bill. He's you know, he's not signed to the he's still a free agent. So let's let's talk a little bit about the current roster that the Bills do have Um, Mm -hmm. as an offensive lineman. I know a lot of times. So, you know, on our on our network now, we have John Fina, we have Jerry Ostrowski and some other big, big fellas that um, they they kind of give us some insight on how the offensive line has to perform and how they play. I didn't get a chance to talk to them yet this week. So I'm asking you first, Spencer Brown, mm-hmm. this dude graded out, man. Like I know he didn't, he didn't in college. He wasn't like the big name guy, but then like when you look at all the intangibles and you look at how he, um, you know, all the workouts and all that other stuff, he graded out. Like he was going to be like this epic, just like this epically talented player. And his rookie season, he has some flashes. And then even now, it's like when he's healthy, he has some some flashes here and there. But lately, it just seems like he's really, really struggling on that line. And not just him. The line in general seems to kind of struggle lately to protect Josh Allen and, and to keep him, you know, just clean so he can get the ball out. What do you see in that is, you know, what what's the issue and what can be corrected? Yeah, well, I think part of it is, like, look at the last four games. Cleveland, Detroit, New England, and New York. There's some good pass rushers there. That Detroit defense that was really bad to start the season has had Aiden Hutchinson getting better as the year has gone along. They've done a better job up front. Cleveland, you've got, you know, known commodities there and Miles Garrett and a pass rush group that may not stop the run very well, but they can rush the passer. And then New England and the Jets, I don't have to say anything. We know those front fours with Judon and really that whole pack of guys for the New York Jets that we saw last week. So you've gotten stressed by some really good rushers. Like you look specifically at the Jets game last week, wide nines, big wide spaces over there. There's nowhere to hide as an offensive lineman. You're put on an island. Sometimes they were adding guys to really silo it up. And so I think first and foremost, you acknowledge it's been good on really good for the last few games. And so there's challenges that get presented there. For Spencer individually, I think it was interesting looking in the Jets game because Buffalo did the right thing in wanting to give their guys help, especially wanting to give Spencer help. And so they would send chips with a running back. They would put a tight end up lined up near there that would try and get a shot on these guys. And you would Mm -hmm. see even on those rushes, on one of the rushes where he gave up a sack or a pressure was one where he had help. It does kind of jack up your timing if you don't have a ton of reps under that. And even if you do, I've heard a lot of tackles talk about I played on the interior 
But when you go out there and set and all of a sudden this guy gets pushed a little bit further back in than you were expecting or you overset off your spot, now all of a sudden your timing's jacked up and that defender's got momentum going in a way that you weren't fully prepared for. And it just didn't look like there was fully a comfort with some of the help that he was getting there. And, you know, then again, you know, the one sack he gave up was on missed time in the snap count. So he got off the ball late against these guys that are screaming up like a bat out of hell off that D-line. So it's not really any one thing, but it all goes back to that's just that's D-line and the style that they play. I heard Zach Martin, you know, the great guard in Dallas, talk about this in an article. There's two types of D-linemen. There's readers and there's penetrators. There's the guys that play in those three, four schemes that want to get their hands on you, get their eyes up and see where it's going. And then there's guys like the Jets that just want to tear ass upfield and say, we'll figure it out when we get to the quarterback, whoever's mm-hmm. in the backfield. And that kind, I can just tell you from experience, stressed me out more than anything. Because <laughs> the number one hardest thing for any position to defend is speed. And the Jets have it in droves on that D-line. And you saw that stress the Bills in a lot of ways. Man, and, and you know what? I felt like I was arg- well, I was arguing with family. Bills Mafia, you know, we win and they're pissed off. They're like, you know, oh, they look hor-. And I'm like, do y'all not understand that the Jets, first of all, is a top is one of the top defenses in the league. The defensive line is one of the top defensive lines in the league. Like you mentioned, the speed, the strength. Um, I know Quentin Williams went down with an injury. Hopefully yeah. that is minor. Like, hopefully he comes back uh sooner than later. But but man, like they have a legit defense. It's not like this isn't this is you know no it's it's no it's it's very legit and the same goes for new england like they do it in a different way but they still got two quality rusher rushers there and wise and in judon and they can give you a bunch of different looks they're going to bring guys five up and like the other difficult part of this is now in this game it was a little bit different the bills got under center at least anecdotally a little bit more they tried to do Mm -hmm. some of the things that you do against these teams which is screen them you try and get that you know guys pulling in there to try and create seams and it's just difficult with them getting up field the way they did and in that offense like the Bills offense is predicated on Josh being able to drop back and do special things and so now all of a sudden when those special things are a little harder to come by because you got a quarterback playing with an injury that most people have kind of forgotten about because he's been on the field now all of a sudden everything else takes a step back because you're trying to adjust and so I give the Bills credit for being able to find ways to win while I think they're kind of in the middle of adjusting to what their quarterback is currently capable of with an injury that feels like more of a silent killer than something you're necessarily going to be able to see down in and down out yeah and and you're right to that point like Josh is um he's played through an injury that I think most guys would probably take a few weeks off like three to five weeks off and mm-hmm. I think that was what the recommended time off was for me he just he, he hustled it up and he played through it put a brace on now I think the brace is off I, I feel like I was looking for it and I couldn't quite see it this past Sunday but regardless it's it's a heck of a thing to play through um anybody that's played sports whether you uh play baseball actually if you play baseball and you throw you're yeah. not you're not throwing that ball with that type of injury so yeah no your, your point is is well taken one more thing about offensive linemen and, and so Cody Ford isn't on the bills anymore but I, I just have to ask you this from your perspective um for a couple of years, the Bills have like really valued players um, on the offensive line that could play multiple positions. Mm-hmm. From an offensive lineman position, you you you're, you were a guard. Mm-hmm. How difficult is it to for you to okay? First, let's just talk right guard, left guard, just mm-hmm. that on its own. How difficult is it f- to make those changes like without actually really having the time to learn it? Like like you okay? We got injured. Just go on the left side now. Yeah, no, really hard, really hard from a physical standpoint, from a mental standpoint to flip everything that you've had, especially if you're a guy that's, you know, been around the league for a while and has played almost exclusively on one side. Dallas is going to find this out with what they decided to do with their right tackle situation now that Terrence Steeles went down. Like Jason Peters has spent basically his entire career outside of the very beginning playing on one side biomechanics wise, he's learned to do everything going in one direction. And so for every guy, like I always said, Zach Martin ruined that for a lot of people went from left tackle in college to right guard in the pros and made it look effortless in a way that I can assure you it is not. So that is a, a really underratedly difficult thing to do for a lot of guys coming in, especially like you described to have to do that on the fly. Well, so I guess the so my issue with that was because I like Cody Ford and uh, we ended up trading him to the Arizona Cardinals, but they basically the bills man they moved him up and down the line like he started off at right tackle then he was right guard then he moved over to left guard and it was just like one of those things where um i felt like and i wanted to ask that because 
I, I feel like so tomorrow on the Hump Day Hotline, everybody watching and listening, please make sure you join me. Uh, shameless plug. Join me tomorrow for the Hump Day Hotline. We will have Hall of Fame nominee Ruben Brown joining me and the Big O is going to be joining me. We'll be talking offensive line. We'll be talking his great career. But uh, Ruben basically said, like, man, I did it. You know, when I went to Chicago, I, I, I tried to switch sides and I did it, but it wasn't the easiest thing to do. And the fact that they had this guy playing multiple positions. So I think I just wanted to bring that up just to get your opinion yeah. on it, you know, because I feel like it's difficult, you know, and hopefully my, he thrives in Arizona. When I moved, when I went from college to playing in my first rookie, like my first training camp with the Pittsburgh Steelers, I had played center and guard my entire college career. And the first day I got there in rookie minicamp, I didn't know they had me out at right tackle. So I was on the same side, but I was playing a position one step out. And I had to go back that summer, talk to my old O-line coach and get a completely different set of drills to do. I was learning mm. entirely different techniques because the way you have to operate in space versus operating in more of a phone booth on the inside changes your footwork. It changes some of how you're going to align in your stance a lot of the time and so yeah there's I mean so many little things I think I heard god I forget who it was one of the old veteran offensive linemen might have been Joe Thomas or someone else said it's like trying to go and wipe with your opposite hand like imagine going into the bathroom and all of a sudden you got to wipe and just use the other hand on an off day it's that uncomfortable where you got to think about everything and the minute you've got to think about stuff for too long with how fast it happens up front, the kind of athletes you have in the NFL, that's where you get in a lot of trouble. Those split second decisions can end up costing you. And every team has has a guy now. You know, it seems like, you know, back in the day when you when I grew up watching football, it's like you had certain teams that had studs on the defensive line like that. Now it seems like every team has one or two guys that are absolute monsters. And then in a division like you mentioned, the Jets, the Patriots, and now the, the Dolphins traded for for Chubb, so they have pass rushers too. So and, well, and in this, like in this division, especially, I was just talking with someone about this the other day. We're in like a golden age for interior defensive line play in the NFL Man. right now. And you look in Buffalo. I mean, what Ed Oliver has been doing this season. You look mm -hmm. at Christian Wilkins in Miami. He has been an absolute terror this year, mm -hmm. turned himself into one of the, like a top five D tackle in the NFL. And so when you have all these edge rushers, because yeah, we got the tweeners onto the field. Like, that was the NFL problem for years. They got the fast guys that were tweeners before and just say, hey, go be an outside backer, stand up, and go rush the passer. And then you couple it with having guys on the interior. That sack that Roger Sapple gave up was a perfect example. You got to worry yeah. about all the speed coming wide off the edge. And so now Quinn and Williams is one-on-one -on -one with a good guard in Roger Saffold, but it's a lot of space with a guy who's an incredible 300-plus pound athlete. So, of course, that's going to go poorly sometimes. In a beast, in an absolute beast. I try not to give too many compliments to the division vision rivals but man it's like this year has been hard like the jets i have to compliment you know man sauce gardner like you know there's so many guys on that team even now mike white as a quarterback i know he he came in you know and dude sunday he earned every bit of my respect every bit of my respect that dude is tough mike white got his you know what whooped in a way that yeah. we like this is an incredibly physical league rarely do we see the hits that pure the shot matt milano put on him in the pocket was you, you ever play super smash bros where you yeah. could get the baseball bat as a weapon and when you hit it perfect it made that loud ping when you hit yep. it flush that was the sound that hit made when he <laughs> hit mike white square in the ribs in a way that mike wright's probably going to feel for the rest of the year and he still dragged himself back in that game i said it was like a rocky movie you couldn't take that dude down. Yeah, and and, and like I said, I, I hope he's okay. I know that he got some, uh, I think, an MRI for an oblique injury maybe or something. Yeah. But, uh, but dude, it's tough as nails, man. And you're right. Normally, um, what we see in the league now, everything is roughing the passer. Everything yep. is roughing the passer. And that was that was the most textbook, clean, hard hit that you're going to see. And Matt Milano, he's another defender. He's playing lights out, man. Like, he's having like this – to me, he's having a defensive player of the year type campaign, but I still feel like, you know, I know Buffalo's 10 and three, uh, but it's still a smaller market. So a lot of times, like, even though they're playing well and they're, they're one in the division, one in the conference, it, we still don't get those type of looks. But I think he's having a type of year. If people really watch Matt Milano, the dude is absolutely having a top defender uh, season. So uh, but now let's let's move on a little bit, man. Um, this weekend. Uh, we're going up against Miami. Huge game for the division. Um, they they just lost to to the the, the Chargers, which yeah. I'm happy about. But it kind of it threw me. Uh, dude, what is happening with Tua? And, and this because this I understand the 49ers. You know the 49ers. Mm -hmm. That defense is is I get it. The Chargers 
even with the guys that when they're healthy, um, they don't have like the best defense in the league, but man, they absolutely look tough against two of this week. Yeah, so I think Miami's going through their first bit of growing pains, right? What we've seen with a lot of the great offenses around the league is, all right, these are smart, and especially the last couple of weeks. You mentioned going back to San Francisco, and then for Brandon Staley, like people remembered, this is a guy that cut his teeth as the defensive coordinator for Sean McVay that's part of the same sort of coaching tree. And so he spent his whole time in training camp over there. Jordan Rodriguez at The Athletic did an awesome article about the summer in training camp when you had Brandon Staley and Sean McVay essentially trading notes on how to beat the other. And that defense was set up to really stop the offense that's a part of the same coaching tree that Mike McDaniels is uh, a part of. And so I think that's part of it is they saw the plan that was set forward by San Fran. Get up and press these guys. I I said with fast, small receivers like you've got with Weidel and Hill, these guys don't want to get touched up. They're both a little bit banged up right now. Hill's got an ankle. Waddle's got something going on with the leg as well. And so the last thing these guys want are people getting rough with them. Like when you think about a Ferrari engine, if the slightest thing goes wrong, all of a sudden it's not going to, it's not going to run right. You can beat up a pickup truck. You can't beat up a Ferrari in that same way. And that's what's happening right now. So people got their hands on the merchandise and you've got an offensive line that's beat up. Like they got Teron Armstead back this last game, but you were missing three of your five starters before then. Teron's still clearly playing banged up towards the end of the season. Like a lot of people are. And Mm -hmm. so if the protection's a little bit compromised and then these receivers have their timing off in an offense that's predicated on that, all of a sudden, Tua's really good at a lot of things, but he's not going to buy you a ton of extra time and make things happen outside of the body of the play. And that's where a lot of the challenge came for this offense. And that's what Mike McDaniel has to figure out how to overcome now with his quarterback. And you know what? Tariq Hill kind of got beat up this past Sunday as well. I don't know if he, like, it's, a, it's technically a short week. It's short by a day. Um, the, the game is Saturday night. I don't know how severe the ankle injury is. or it, To me, it looked more like a shin. Like, it looked like he had something wrapped around the front of his leg as opposed to his ankle. Yeah, I, I, I know they listed it as an ankle, but like either way, a lower leg injury for a guy in Tyreek Hill, who in addition to being fast, is like quicker than fast. It's the old Mayockism, yeah. where his whole advantage is being able to make cuts in spaces that most people can't comprehend. So if you affect that at all, all of a sudden, that offense looks a lot different. So with that being said now, so let's just assume that Tariq Hill is okay. Like Let's just say yeah. he heals up Saturday night. But we now apparently there's a game plan like there's there's a blueprint out there on how to defend this team and make them not look as explosive. What do you think if you're Mike McDaniels and you're like, okay, we're heading up to Orchard Park. It's supposed to snow. It's supposed to be like seven inches, seven and a half inches of snow this weekend. What's your game plan for the offense going into Buffalo? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, one, you've got to try and find creative ways to get the ground game going a little bit more. I thought that was something they kind of left on the table against a Chargers defense that certainly can't stop the run very well. Different story with the Buffalo D-line, especially the way they've played. We talked about their interior as well. And so I think you've got to do some of those things naturally. I think you've got to start to do what they've done a lot, use creative motion and ways to get these receivers free releases without getting touched up at the line. Like for Buffalo, Tredavious White came back. I think this is the first week he played every snap of the game or played Mm -hmm. an entire game since coming back from injury. So the Cavalry's coming back there. You've got the personnel to be able to go out and execute this kind of game plan. And so now for McDaniel and company, it's, all right, if people are going to try and throw off our timing, we have to create shorter opportunities. We've got to create space for these receivers structurally, formation-wise, with motion, all these things that the great ones do. It's just now Miami's being asked to do it in a little bit of a different way based on what's happened. And, you know, well, you know what, the, the thing for me, too, um, it seems like when Tariq, now Tariq Hill still had a big game. He had like a 60-yard bomb touchdown. He had to fumble. Reco- First of all, the speed that that dude showed on that play, it's like, how the heck is this guy able to do this stuff? Like, but but it seemed like outside of Tariq Hill, uh, Waddle didn't have a huge game. Now, Tua, again, we, we talked about how you, you throw off the timing there. Tua looked really um, – I don't want to, I'm not trying to send any shots out. So, you know, I don't want, but, but he just didn't look good. You know, first half he had a, I think that his quarterback, his QBR was like 39.6 or 39.5. He's really going to have to figure out, you know, his coach is going to have to help him there. Yeah. Good coach. Good quarterbacks have bad games. Like we've seen that all throughout the NFL in the last couple of seasons. It happened with Joe Burrow earlier this year. We've seen Mahomes have bad games. We've seen Josh have bad games. It's just that two has got less time under task with those top quality reps, right? Like we've seen Josh play at an MVP level. We've seen Patrick play at an MVP level for a couple of seasons now. 
We haven't seen that same thing from Tua over a long enough sample size for everyone to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I, I look at this and we'll shoot him some bail and say, all right, we've given plenty of the other really good quarterbacks in this league a chance after a couple of bad games to adjust down the stretch mm-hmm. of the season. Miami just has to do that against a really tough stretch of their schedule. Like what we just talked about the bills going through in their schedule. That's what the dolphins are getting ready to go through a bunch of defenses, including Buffalo's that have the tools to go out and affect them in the way that we've seen the last couple of weeks prove a pretty effective kryptonite to what's been one of the best offenses in the NFL. And so they're going to have to adjust fast because if not all of a sudden their playoff hopes are going to become a very serious conversation. And, you know, in the first time around, we went down to Miami and we lost that game. Now, there's several reasons why Bills fans would say we lost the game. I was there and I always I always go back to the weather. It was freaking hot, man. And Stefan, like Stefan Diggs did the interview and he's like, I had two IVs in my arms at halftime and I had full body cramps and all this stuff that they were talking about. The offensive line was out with um, heat exhaustion and all that stuff. But even outside of that, I felt like the game was very winnable for the Bills. And we didn't have certain players. So, like, Jordan Poyer wasn't there. Jordan Poyer is going to be there this weekend. Um, When you watch Jordan Poyer, I love Jordan. Like, I I, I hype Jordan and Tremaine as much as I possibly can. But when you watch Jordan, what difference do you see that he makes when he's in versus when he's not? He's just so decisive. Like you mentioned, the spine of that defense is really strong when it's all intact. And when you can go from – Ed in the middle of that defensive line to Tremaine and Matt in the middle of that linebacking core all the way back to Poyer at the end. It's as locked in like the way they see the game mentally, how fast they make decisions for Jordan helping be that last line of defense and just always feeling like he's the eraser that that defense needs. I think it's the decisiveness that stands out. They play really downhill, really together. They see things all really well as a unit and it's, you know, it, it's been clear, like, that's a year-over-year thing from last year. Like, this defense moved like it was a bunch of guys, especially when they drop seven or eight. It's like seven or eight guys on a string that communicate really well. The defensive back room is the closest thing to an offensive line for small people. It's a bunch of guys that have okay. to communicate things together, that have to pass stuff off together, that have to be on the same page before, during, and after the snap. And so, and they're also going backwards trying to play against some of the best athletes on planet Earth. And so, I have a lot of empathy for that situation, and also a lot of appreciation appreciation when you see a guy like that that's a great communicator that's really physical and really decisive because that's what you need and now Trey White is back as well so mm-hmm. it's, it's it's also going to be um it's a completely different unit that that these Dolphins are going to see um so now let's flip let's flip sides we'll uh got a couple more questions for you then we'll get on out of here but um so now the Bills offense before we talk about the Bills offense because everybody knows we're going to talk about Josh we're going to talk about Diggs um probably the run game a bit defensively now for for Miami when you're looking at coming into Buffalo you you mentioned uh Christian you mentioned um some other key players how how are they going to attack Buffalo because in my opinion now I'm biased obviously (laughs) I'm super biased but from what I've been seeing especially over the last four weeks the Bills have been finding ways to win games different ways you know it's like okay you're going to shut down uh the passing game all right we're going to let Cook get 60 yards and Singletary will get 60 and we'll probably add another 25 a piece on the, on through the air out the backfield. Uh, let's get this past Sunday. Let's get Dawson Knox involved. Uh, when, when we get it, when he gets a slight opening, we'll make sure we get it to him, jump over people, get a touchdown. Oh, uh, we'll run with Josh against the jets or what? So it's like, you're, you're seeing these different ways to win. How, how does this defense has have to attack our, our offense in order for Miami? I don't want them to, but in order for them to come out of Buffalo with a win and get back right on the right side of things. Yeah. Well, I, I think part of it is like what you have to know about their identity, right? Like Miami loves to get up in your face, especially with the pass rushers they've got. They love to at least show all up pressure and then work back from there. And so you've got to have answers for that while understanding there's going to be bluffs. You've got to have Josh really dialed into looking at the shell and wondering, all right, is this pressure really going to come? Are these guys up here bluffing try and get the truth told on this and part of that's then going to be how you operate as an offense give your quarterback motions on those critical downs and distances to try and get somebody on the defense to tell on themselves but they love to try and get that there so you've got to set your protection and now all of a sudden you can get Wilkins you can get Chubb and you can get Jalen Phillips one-on-one matchups on the perimeter because those guys are all really effective and I think 
really tenacious rusters. Like that's the other thing that stands out is just the energy of that group. They never stop. There's a lot of great pursuit. And so you've got to have answers there that, you know, look like a lot of the under center run game. We've seen Buffalo try and use in spots like that look like a screen game that you can try and mix in there as well to try and break past that and sort of brush them back. Because that's the other thing about defenses. They're going to show you their favorite stuff like that early. And if you beat it one or two times, with a screen or you're able to pop a run through there and trap guys. Now all of a sudden the defense is licking their licking their wounds and they've got to go to plan B because D coordinators hate getting beat on something and going back to it. Yeah. Yeah. So now let's, let's flip it. So, cause everything you just said now is relevant to, to the next question when you talk about the Buffalo bills offense. So we got to beat them at their plan a to get them on plan B and then hopefully beat their plan B. I, I missed the Buffalo bills offense from like the first couple of weeks. Obviously as a bills fan, you know, you go down to the defending super bowl champions home in LA and like you blow the doors off of them week one. And then you come home and you play Tennessee and you blow the doors off of them. It was, it was a, I mean, the first the first few weeks of the season, man, were glorious. I I, I want to see that deep or that offense come back. What obviously we already talked about Josh's injury, but outside of the the elbow injury and outside of what what has to happen, like what what do these guys have to put together in order to look like that against these this Dolphins team? I think you run Josh early first and foremost. Like I I said, Josh has a lot of Camp Newton to him, where you could see that third and fifteen from last week. Where Josh, and I saw Nate Tice put together a really good stat about third and fourth and longs where Josh Allen scrambles in critical situations have almost all gone for first downs. He's yeah. got a real knack for those spots. And I think with Cam, what you always saw was if you allowed him to be a part of the run game early in the design run game, the scrambles are going to come because they're instinctive players. But when you get him involved in the design run game, some of those QB sweeps, some of the QB power looks up the middle. It just like kind of seems to get him in the flow of the game. And I know early in the season, they made a point of saying, hey, we're going to try and really hold those over for the playoff run. We don't want to put our franchise quarterback in harm's way. It's you know what cutting time right now. Like you've got to throw out all your best stuff. And I think one of your best things that can really mitigate a lot of that pressure is making the defense have to account for your quarterback as a run threat very early in the game. There's one thing to see it on tape. There's another thing to see the 6'6", 240-pound guy coming downhill straight at your face Mm -hmm. and having to know, all right, now I have to think about that. Now I've got that in the back of my mind every play. And yeah, you, you know, the famous quote that everybody seems to quote about Mike Tyson, like everybody has a plan till you get punched in the mouth. And, and you know, if you come out, like you said, Josh is a he's a mammoth, man. Like he's I, I remember my first time seeing him in person. And it's like he's bigger than half the offensive linemen that I've seen. Like he's just uh, and he wants to be in the mix. Like you look at Josh after he comes up after every bit of contact or hit, <laughs> he comes up in his jaw with D lineman and he doesn't care yeah. because he feels like he's going to hold his own in that exchange. Like not every quarterback's got that to him. And so you like, I know it's kind of overused at this point, but like Josh Allen's got that dog in him. He's got plenty of dogs. So yeah. sometimes to quote a very famous group, you got to let the dogs out. <laughs> he's but you know what you're right it, like he he he's crazy man like yes. i'm trying to remember the game it was um but he he ran and like tried to get a touchdown and they like knocked him out on like the two yard line left side of the field and he got up and he's like smiling at the guy he's like yeah man like, i love that i love and it's just like dude you're getting hit by 280 pound guys and you're sitting here saying you love it but uh that's the thing that i think it's like a love-hate relationship for me with josh because like mm-hmm. the, the scramble against the jets yeah, it was like the fourth, the third and fourteen when he like got hit, did the helicopter spin. It's like, yeah, it's entertaining to watch, but then I, I hold my breath every single time until he gets up because it's like, at the, especially at this point of the season, I, I I just can't imagine something happening to my quarterback, and then now we only have four games left, and then we have to go into the playoffs, and it's not with him. Like I need Josh to be Josh when the playoffs come around. So so I don't know. For me, it's like. I preach it just like you just did. And I'm like, we got to, we got to run. I like to run them on third downs, like you mentioned, but also in the red zone. I think that's part of the reason why the Bills red zone success hasn't been as great this mm-hmm. year. Um, now they've improved the last couple of weeks. Like now they're up over 50, like 56%. But prior, like the last like three games prior to that, it was like, it was bad. Actually at home uh, before this last game, I haven't looked at the update on it, but we were like 47% as far as red zone efficiency uh, scoring touchdowns. And that wasn't the Buffalo bills for the last couple of years. We were, we were lights out when it comes to the red zone. So I think, I think that's going to be the key for me going to see how we use Josh in the red zone and yeah, Josh on third down there, but, but all right. uh, 
let's move on from the Bills game a little bit now. And like I said, I got a couple, like we're almost done here. Let's just say hypothetically things go the way I want it to go. Mm-hmm. Bills Mafia is going to be out. I, I live in, I live in Phoenix. So Bills Mafia come out in Glendale and you know, there's tables everywhere and we're just jumping through tables and the Bills make it to the Super Bowl. Are the Eagles for real or who do you see really coming out to NFC? Oh, no, the Eagles are incredibly real. And this year's like NFC where we've seen the balance of power kind of shift. All the teams we thought were going to be good have been bad this year. Green Bay's been bad this year. Tampa's been a massive disappointment. The entire NFC South, like you can lump the Saints in there who have underwhelmed tremendously. And now we look at what's happened with Minnesota in some of their biggest games. It's hard to trust that defense and what we've seen of them. And so – I look at the Philadelphia Eagles. That's the most complete offense in football right now. Okay. Like I, I would say maybe the Detroit Lions might be able to give them a run for their money because that unit's proved really potent. But we've just seen Philly win in so many different ways. This past weekend, Jalen cutting it loose a lot more. A couple games ago, they're rushing for over 360 yards. They've got probably the best offensive line in football when they're healthy, and they've managed to stay largely healthy the entire season. The A.J. Brown acquisition will be up for the trade of Man. the year. There's been few players as impactful as him. I mean, statistically, it's the best offense Philly's had since 2014. They've managed, and it's been about kind of what I think Buffalo can appreciate is steady improvement of their quarterback. Now, Jalen Hurts didn't walk into the party with the same gifts. Like Josh Allen walked out of the hospital with more gifts than Jalen Hurts has. That's just, you know, by it, like what he came out with is just different. But Jalen's managed that improvement every year. And they did what Buffalo did. They did what the Ravens did. They did what a lot of these good teams did. They just kept putting good pieces around him and kept drafting him weapons and kept fortifying mm-hmm. the group in front of him. And now all of a sudden you look up and this quarterback's really in a great position to succeed. And he's done the work on his end, in addition to being a tremendous leader, and said, All right. I'll manage to improve all the areas that you think are a weakness of me. And so, yeah, Philadelphia, absolutely a, a, a prime Super Bowl contender in the NFC right now. They're incredible. Is Hurts your MVP? If, if, if the season ended today, are you giving it to him? He's probably 1B. Like, I've been on Mahomes for a while, and I understand that, you know, part of that is just muscle memory from prior years. But I think with Pat this year, the way that – Kansas City operated, made the offseason moves, letting Tyreek Hill out of the building. All these things you wouldn't do unless you had a half a billion dollar quarterback who plays up to that value and then some. I think he's been the reason that their offense has been number one in almost every statistical category, despite their team having to play in and win a lot of these close games where the margins look a lot different than they used to. I think it's because Mahomes is playing some of his best football ever right now. And so I would probably still have him as 1A, but Jalen's certainly in, in that conversation up at the the top and there's no denying it like mvp most improved there's a bunch of stuff that he could qualify yeah. for based on this season for sure um my, my issue with my home and i guess is, now this is a personal thing like when it comes to bills fans because i feel like the, so josh is still like he gets a lot of love now so we we can't mm-hmm. we can't say as bills fans that oh we don't get respect no we get the respect now but I still feel like there's times like, for instance, Josh Allen, uh, he went through a stretch there where he was turning the ball over a bit, typically after he injured his elbow. Uh, but he he just didn't look like the same Josh turning the ball over, had a certain amount of interceptions. Patrick Mahomes is basically either tied or one interception below him. But yet it's still he's looked at like MVP caliber candidate. The Bills are 10 and three, just like him. He's uh, having it. Josh is having his best yardage year, um, even without the 17th game. He would have surpassed any year that he had as far as passing uh, touchdowns or uh, rushing yards and touchdowns and efficiency is up. They're winning games and they're figuring out how to win games even when he was injured. But Josh isn't in that same conversation. So I guess I just. I don't know if it's, again, like you said, it could be muscle memory where everybody is like, was Patrick Mahomes? And he doesn't have Tariq Hill this year. But when you really look at it, like you break things down. I love Gabriel Davis. I love Isaiah McKenzie. We we don't have a number two. We brought Cole Beasley back because something in the slot wasn't working. We're missing something on offense. I, I just, I, I don't know. I just find it funny how, um, and I, I'll clue myself in it, but it's like, when we talk about these conversations, Patrick Mahomes still gets this certain level of respect that Josh won't get on the same level. And I just, I, 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 
Yeah, I, I can I can understand the sensitivity to that. I think I, I can just tell you from the national level, I think he gets an awful lot of respect. Like Josh was the presumptive MVP favorite going into the season. It's just mm-hmm. the injury of this type of year complicates the, the conversation a little bit. Josh is looked at in that same tier. Like Patrick Mahomes to me is the best quarterback in the NFL until further notice. He's earned that. He's gone out and backed it up over and over again. How you quantify MVP on every year, given year is a different story. But until further notice, that's the guy. But when you look at quarterbacks that are in that class, it's Josh. And then there's not a lot of other guys we get to talk to as far as that combination of one, the ability, like Justin Mm -hmm. Herbert's got that ability. Their team hasn't accomplished on that level yet, but ability wise, he gets to look those guys eye to eye. Lamar Jackson, incredible ability an MVP already to his name under the age of 25. Like, Josh gets talked about in the right conversations. It's just, I look at the MVP like anything else. A lot of it is timing. A lot of it's recency bias. It's a lot like the Heisman that we do in college. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's an imperfect metric. But overall, Josh Allen is looked at and loved by people that care about football. That's for sure. Okay. I'll stop being emotional about it, man. I get, <laughs> I no, get like, man, I, listen, I, he's your guy. <laughs> love him up. Go yeah. For him, man. Sharpen the tools. Hell. I do, man. I get like that about Josh. Cause he, cause like I said to, to me, well, obviously not just to me, to Buffalo, man, he's the best thing we've had since Jim Kelly. I mean, like really since Jim Kelly, mm-hmm. shout out to Tyrod, shout out to, you know, shout out to all of the guys that we've had that have brought some type of um, hope to western new york but come on josh is different man so so we're, we're really protective when it comes to him you know as you should right. be he's incredible he's awesome he does like cool viral social media videos with you guys too like he's <laughs> he he's he's ever and he he feels quintessentially buffalo like he is all of the toughness he is all of the down to earth he just you know as a leader as anything he's awesome so yes absolutely protect the greatest commodity in there that guy's awesome yeah, we go. We go ride for my man. But all right. So bef- now this this is the last little fun stretch of questions, real quick. Um. So I like I said, I did my little homework, did my research, man, and I I came across this. I I, I didn't realize I used to watch you. Um. When you did the radio show with your dad, and then even mm-hmm. after your dad, uh, when he stepped away, still watched and everything. But I just I don't know why I missed this. I feel like this is something that you had to talk about. But you're a sneakerhead, and and every time I, I get a chance to talk to somebody, I got to know a. Hey, First, what's your favorite sneaker? And then if it's one that you don't have, what is your most valued one that you have to you? Um, so I would say my favorite pair that I have is is not really close. The it's the Air Max 97 one Sean Watherspoons, the you know, multicolored ones made out of cor- uh, corduroy and all that. It was one of the first pairs that I really wanted that, you know, ended up saving up, ended up shooting my shop for on one of the secondary websites because I didn't get it in real time when it came out around mm-hmm. Air Max Day. And thankfully, I got it when I did because the the price on those has only continued yeah. to skyrocket, man. It's, it's nothing nice. When you look at those prices, it, it's crazy. It's crazy to me just how to market on sneak. I know inflation is, is everywhere right now, but the, the way – Sneaker prices have gone up, man. Like I remember, I was able to. So, so my, just for for reference here, my favorite pair. I, I love the Jordan Twelves, uh, either the the Flu Game Twelves, the the black and red ones, or the Taxi Twelves. Dude, you try to find a pair of Taxi Twelves right now? Good luck. Like good luck. Good luck. <laughs> oh, it's. It, I mean, the the whole. I mean, we we can get into it. Like the whole game's gotten messed up. Bots have ruined a lot of this conversation, and the secondary market's gone crazy. Like you asked about the Grail pair. I think I saw Jason Sudeikis wear this on Ted Lasso once. But those Tom Sachs Nike, uh, the Craft Yard shoe. It's a uh-huh. real like understated dad looking shoe. But I, I mean, again, I'm 33 at this point. Most of my friends are parents. So wearing dad shoes is kind of like my aesthetic. They're like $6,000 on StockX. Insane, They're insanely man. priced. And so I did the life hack now. If I couldn't get them, I have a six-month-old uh, nephew named Jackson. My brother had his first kid. And so I got him the baby shoe version of those that were still like multiple hundreds of dollars. But it wasn't, gonna, yeah, it wasn't going to send me back a rent payment. And so I went there and made sure that if I couldn't ball, he could at least ball in those. Yeah, I mean, that's a good uncle right there. Man. That's yeah. a good uncle. So, well, all right, man, let's go ahead and get ready to get on out here. Um, first, if you feel comfortable, give me a quick prediction for the game. I, I feel like Bills fans want to know. Yeah, I mean, I could see this one, uh, again, being close just because both teams are having to adjust to the way other teams have played them right now. We talked about and sang the praises of some of what Miami's done on defense. That being said, it's going to be an opportunity for this Buffalo passing attack to get right. Miami is not built for it on the back end in that way. They give up a bunch of yards in the passing attack. I mean, 
that that Chargers offense doesn't want to go downfield. They're one of the worst teams in the NFL in air yards Man. per attempt, and they still manage to get deep shots down the field. So it's going to be there for Buffalo. I think this is a close one. I could see. I mean, I think it's going to be inside a touchdown. I could see Buffalo winning this game by three or four, some funky number. We'll call it like twenty-one to seventeen. I could see, especially if it's supposed to be like you said, the weather. It's supposed to be kind of cold and cruddy. Like mm-hmm. that's advantage. Seven inches. Yeah, so this is kind of the total inverse of that first matchup we talked about where that heat was advantage Miami because they just live in that. Now you've got a team that's full of fast guys that are a little bit banged up, that are walking into a situation that's going to make everything feel a little bit worse. I could see the Bills winning a slugfest in this one. And on DraftKings, uh, they opened the game opened at seven and a half in favor of Buffalo. Um, I obviously I didn't I, I didn't put my article out yet. We get closer to the game for that, but um, I, I'm I'm kind of in agreement with you. I don't think the Bills are going to cover. I think we'll win, but I don't think um, now unless because you know what? Now I'm thinking about it. Just talking to you about it, it depends because so Sunday when we watched uh, the Jets game, that slush that sleep type of rainy slow in the first half it was horrible for both teams as soon as it kind of like just turned into just snow josh allen looked like kind of josh allen like we started to move the ball we started to score so i don't know i think um that's the reason why everybody talks about well that's why you draft josh allen for western new york because he can throw in that stuff i don't know if tua has proven in buffalo he hasn't had good games so i don't know if he's proven that he can come in to buffalo in weather like this and like you mentioned Tariq hill little banged up some other guys are banged up and i know you know because you played in indiana and it gets cold people don't realize this because i lived in indiana for a few years it gets cold in indiana like it's freaking cold in indiana when you get hit like that it hurts it's not it's not a good time man it's not a good time and we've talked a lot about the receivers and stuff on the outside i'll say this that buffalo front four stepped up big time in the two games without Vaughn, Greg yeah. Rousseau coming back, him and Epineza, the way that that D-line has looked overall and those guys getting involved against the Dolphins offensive line that we talked about is missing a couple of starters here and is certainly playing injured. I think that's an area where Buffalo really makes their presence felt in this game. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it, man. I'll, uh, I'll be shouting you out when, once it goes the way you said it's going to go. I appreciate you taking the time. Why don't you sh- uh, let everybody know where they can find your content, what you got coming up this week. I know you got a lot of, got a lot of good stuff this week. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, Gojo Show is the podcast. You can get it wherever you get your uh, podcast: Apple, Spotify, Google, all those fun places. You can also check us out. The DraftKings YouTube channel has a Gojo with Michael Jr. playlist on there. Got all our episodes up on YouTube in full great clips and stuff. And uh, yeah, we got uh, Christmas coming up. So we'll have some special guests there, some sort of one-off episodes up over the holiday season in the next couple of weeks. And uh, just in general, like you betting down for the home stretch in the NFL and trying to see who makes this late push, especially, you know, the wild card for the AFC and the NFC both is a really interesting place to be. And so we'll be all over it. All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that was my special guest tonight, Mr. Mike Golick Jr. And y'all already know how I do it over here, man. Y'all take care of each other. Y'all love each other and live in peace. And as always, stay positive, test negative. Go Bills. Code of conduct.